BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. It's Friday, October 19th, 2018, and you're listening to Up to Date from Inquiring Minds. I'm Andre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. So, Kishore, you've got a son who's in school now, just uh, started, what, first grade? Second grade. Second grade. So, are you thinking about university yet? No. Should I be? (laughs) Don't make time go by faster than it already (laughs) is. Um, well, what about your own choice of university? What, what do you think are the factors that influenced uh, which university you chose and whether you went to university at all? Well, I think number one has to be cost this day and age, just because of how expensive universities seem to be. Uh, and then second, um, I actually was taking around my niece to check out colleges uh, a couple weeks ago. And one of the things that I surprisingly said is like, make sure this is feels right to you, that you feel comfortable here, as opposed to like the majors and stuff, which is what I thought I would say. Well, what if I told you that one of the influences that did influence your choice, most likely, but that you didn't realize uh, was actually in your genes? No, 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 no. I I don't (laughs) believe this can't be genetics in universities. I know it sounds totally far-fetched, uh, but a paper recently out um, by Emily Smith Woolley and her colleagues in Scientific Reports, it's a nature research journal, um, suggests that by looking at a large-scale twin studies that there is at least a small proportion of the variance of not only which university you pick, but how well you do at university that can be explained by genetics. How like how that makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah, there certainly isn't the you know Stanford gene or you know. The... Let's hope not. <laughs> um, but there are you know, and I think what what they don't really understand yet is how this works. And of course, there must be some kind of factor that's closer to what influences our decision making that is not quite so far away from university choice, um, which we still, as of yet, don't know what that is. Uh, But the data are pretty compelling that, um, in fact, something like the choice to study university at all, you know, had about a 51% heritability. Um, How well people did uh, was a 46% heritability marker. And then the quality of the university attended, um, which is obviously related to these things, was 57%. How do they have much of a sample for this? I can't imagine that there's is thousands of people. Oh, yes. No. So this is part of a large scale UK sample. This is all in the UK um, of 3000 genotyped individuals and 3000 twin pairs. So it's it's a huge data set. Oh, my goodness. That is a, a massive uh, data set. First of all, 
3,000 twin pairs. How did they enroll 3,000 twins in a study? <laughs> That's remarkable unto itself. But well, I think I think like if you're born uh, a twin, like immediately in the hospital, there must be people signing you up for studies because there are so many of these very large scale, um, you know, twin cohorts. Uh, but they're, also I they're think just they're... scientists roaming the hallways. <laughs> Any twins today? Any twins? <laughs> The other side of it, though, is that this was conducted in the UK, where I think that the choices of university are somewhat more homogeneous than, uh, say, in the US. And so, like, there are the, the very top tier schools that are very difficult to get into Cambridge, Oxford, et cetera. Then there are sort of, you know, lower tier universities uh, in, in all, all kinds of cities. But the, the quality there, I think, is sort of more sort of stepwise, or at least in, 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 in the ways of this analysis, it seems like there's less kind of overall variability. I mean, there's so many more colleges in the U.S. I think it would be a lot harder to do this kind of an analysis here. So putting aside this analysis just for a second, uh, like I, I totally buy what you're saying, that they did rigorous work and they came to this conclusion and the data are really convincing. Do you think these types of studies, the ones that link genetics to some sort of factor that's almost unbelievable in in sort of real world situations. Do you think they help or hurt sort of perceptions of what people's expectations are around science? Well, I think that certainly the media like us <laughs> like to latch onto these stories because they do make great stories. I do agree that they're really hard to interpret. And, you know, I, I, you know, as I said, I think there's other there are other factors, you know, involved here. But I do think that there is this kind of what I mean, what they're trying to say is that the appetite and aptitude that young adults have for going to college and achieving in college is in part genetically influenced. So that's similar to, you know, someone's religiosity, right, which is also uh, to some extent genetic. So not which religion you believe in, but how fervently you believe in the religion. Um, and so I think this is kind of an interesting way to show that here's another aspect of human behavior that we kind of, you know, think is very individual um, that might have more of a biological basis. Yeah, I only bring it up because I think we're susceptible to over subscribing to the results of these studies, saying that there is sort of a genetic link by overstating how how big of an effect that that link actually has on, on these final choices. And with the advent of consumer genetic testing, uh, I've always wondered, are we setting ourselves up for failure where we're going to uh, start to create a, a situation where people think, yeah, it's in my genes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, 5% is still a tiny amount, ultimately. Um, and, you know, some of the other numbers sound a lot, a lot more impressive than they are when you really think about what they mean. And I think that, you know, the other side of it is that environmental factors, which they can also study in such a cohort, because they have both individuals and twins, which presumably share more um, environmental influences than individuals. Uh, they, they show that environment also has a pretty big effect, you know, accounts to you know 30 to 40 percent, at least, uh, of some of the initial markers. But interestingly enough, it looks like that environmental effect start, starts to wash away once kids get into college. So whereas we think like everything we're doing is preparing our kids for college, you know, while we're raising them, um, it turns out that once they get to college, there's really not a lot that we can do. Hey, I actually take that as a, a really um, positive sign that there is some sort of equivocation that happens once you get on campus. Well, yeah, you become an adult. 
Yeah. <laughs> Small victories, I guess. Madison Reed's founder, Amy Arrett, named her company after her daughter, and she's revolutionizing the way women color their hair. For decades, women have had two options, the outdated home hair color or the time and the expense of going to a salon. So Amy created Madison Reed because she believes that women deserve better than the status quo. Madison Reed is reinventing the way women color their hair by offering the quality of salon color with the convenience and affordability of at-home hair color. You'll look just like you came from a salon, but the reality is is that you had more me time to do what you really love. Experience beautiful, multidimensional hair color made in Italy, delivered to your door on your schedule for under $25. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Madison Reed would like to honor Inquiring Minds listeners with 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with promo code MINDS. That's code M-I-N-D-S. My story this week is a little bit more pessimistic. I'm sorry, because we have some new information out of the CDC. And usually when I say the sentence, we have new information out of the CDC, some difficult things follow. So in 2014, 2016, and now in 2018, we've had the reemergence of a virus that looks and acts like polio, uh, which is strange because polio has been, for the most part, eradicated from this planet. Uh, This polio-like virus, which is called enterovirus D68, uh, is causing paralysis in children who are showing symptoms of just like a mild cold. Uh, And that's called polio-like because when you are uh, when people uh, were infected with a polio virus, about ninety nine percent of the people that had the virus had essentially that sort of either mild cold or no symptoms whatsoever and were fine. But in one percent of the cases, uh, paralysis uh, developed, and we're seeing a similar effect here. Wow! But that's... it's a totally different virus. This is terrifying. 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 You know now. One more thing to worry about, you know, when your kid gets a cold. But is there any sign that because the viruses are similar that the vaccines might be more easily developed? Yeah, well, I think it's important to back up and say there's only been 65 cases um, that are uh, currently associated with this right now. And at this point, they're not even to the to the uh, to the area where they're thinking about developing a vaccine, even though that's on the horizon, because they're still trying to understand transmission And for the most part, they don't understand what's causing the virus to actually lead uh, what the virus is doing that leads to paralysis. So they are seeing the virus actually invade areas like the cerebral spinal fluid, which you would think would, you know, obviously be a location that would be necessary to cause some impacts for um, uh, for paralysis. And the pattern is similar to to polio. But there's so many things that are um, are sort of left unknown. So right now, there's a lot of work being done um, evaluating uh, different strains of this virus in mice and how they cause paralysis. And depending on how that um, uh, that research goes, they'll be able to develop a vaccine. There is a candidate right now that's being developed in China, but it's so early. We're talking about years away. Luckily, all of this is just still like a small number of cases. Um, but it's so funny. We think about we talk about vaccines, especially from a science side, as 
as having eradicated certain types of diseases in our past, like polio. But that doesn't mean the cousin of polio comes along and can't have similar effects on us. So do we know anything about transmission? I mean, are these kids now quarantined? Yeah, they're uh, they're in 22 different states and um, they're not quarantined because they're not looking at transmission as being through the uh, through the air. They're looking uh, their candidates for transmission are through saliva and mucus right now. Uh, so it pretty much has to be some sort of close contact at this point. Uh, and they're still trying to analyze these patients to see if there's a genetic vulnerability that actually leads to their paralysis versus some people just having a mild cold. Um, this virus has been known about for a while, but we just haven't seen these symptomatic effects from this strain. So uh, it is it is a wait and see situation. Uh, it just kind of underscores to me the larger story about this ecosystem we need to have in place uh, for quickly analyzing uh, and delivering potential vaccines in response to just the rapid evolution that viruses undergo. Because we're always, I always feel like we're a little fragile. We're, and um, just how our society is structured, transmission can can happen in a, in a snap of a finger now. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's remarkable that we haven't had more epidemics, but uh, there you go. So what have we got up for next week? Uh, I'll be talking to Matt Simon, who is a writer at Wired. And just in time for Halloween, it's time to talk about zombies, but not human zombies. We're talking about all the ways zombies exist in nature. It's mildly horrifying. That's what I'll say. (laughs) Sounds awesome. Can't wait to hear it. See you next week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.